Well, it's great to be with you this morning. You guys there? All right. A little darker there than here. I have like the, the light of heaven on me. So I know the anointing is, is here. Um, it's great to be here to, to share with you. As Jeff was saying, we're going, we go back about three years uh, when we were just starting 1056. Uh, but 1056 goes further back than that. Uh, the Lord called my wife and I to move to Uganda nine years ago, and we did. And we started a missions base and a training school and a prayer center uh, for African missionaries to train, equip, and mobilize African missionaries to preach the gospel and plant churches among the unreached people groups of Africa. There's about a thousand tribes still in Africa who need the gospel, who need churches. Most of them are Islamic tribes. There's about 430 million Muslims in Africa, and that's the calling that God gave to, to me and my wife to reach Muslims. And, uh, and then there was very clear leadership of the Lord to that the way that we would do that most effectively was by serving the African missions movement. And he gave us that focus. And, uh, and so we started a missions base in Uganda. And then uh, later we started uh, Send 56 with Gabe and Will Sheehy, who's in Uganda right now. And uh, my wife and I began a second missions base in Kenya. And so we have what our ministry looks like practically is two full-time schools, one in Uganda, one in Kenya, and then around 15 missionaries in five different countries, African missionaries who are ministering am among the most unreached peoples. And so we, uh, we mobilize, we train, and then we send with partnership from people in the U.S., and other places who partner with native missionaries and sow into native missionaries to help them bring the gospel to those who need it the most. So that is an overview of, of who we are. And again, we have Marlene and David and Gabe here, and we're going to be there in the, at the table to talk to everybody. We'd love to share more with you. Um, I was just uh, reading Romans Again, where Paul says in Romans 1, verse 11, he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, by yours and mine. I'm using, am I using the right microphone? Should I switch? No, I, I just feel weird, like, I'll, I'll use two. I, and uh, I, I really have been longing to come here. Gabe said it. it's been a long time in coming. We feel so connected with Jeff because when we first met Jeff, it was like a God thing, and we just connected, and he is such a servant. I mean, I've never had anyone so enthusiastically embrace me and, and what we were doing and just immediately sowing into us and loving us and supporting us and believing in us. Uh, what a profound impact that had in the beginning stages when we were just launching uh, Send 56. It was such a, a powerful thing. And, uh, and so I appreciated that. And so I've longed to, to come here to speak to you. And I felt like last week, you know, I have the messages that I'm always preaching, but I felt like last week I was sitting in a meeting and just kind of out of the blue, I just had this, this is what you should speak at, uh, at a, a new bridge. And so I want to impart that to you. I believe the Lord has an impartation, but there's also mutual edification here where you guys are sowing into us, believing in us, supporting us. And there's a mutual thing that God wants to do here today. Amen. And I'm just so thankful for that and to be here. You can turn in your Bible to, and the, the message today, you can put up the slide The wind of God. The wind of God. <clears throat> and I want to, um, we're going to talk about the move of the Holy Spirit a little bit. Yes. And I want to take kind of a fresh look at John chapter 3. Uh, and we're going to really look at the whole part of John chapter 3 uh, until verse 21. But I want to start with 1 through 8, and that's the main 
part that we're going to focus on. So let's read that. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So, is, so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now the word play here in the Greek is wind and spirit because it's the same word. The wind or the spirit blows where it wishes. I want to ask a question this morning, and this is the question that I, that I uh, feel like Jesus was kind of bringing out of Nicodemus and speaking directly to his faith in the work of God. And it's, can a person be changed? Can a person be delivered? Can a person be transformed? You know, uh, there's a saying that I think becomes more and more the thinking of people as they get older and older. You know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And uh, you can't teach, an old dog can't believe that people can be changed either. Because we we, we've seen too much stuff happen. We've seen too many lives wrecked. We've seen our own heart become stagnant in addictions. We've seen people in addictions. We look at the world. I mean, you look at the world right now. I'm going to talk about Islam and other things. But can a person be changed? Can a situation be transformed in this world. We have desires. You know, Jesus said, uh, I mean, when you look at the Old Testament, there's a passage where the Lord is talking, he's giving the Ten Commandments, and the last one, you shall not covet. You shall not covet. You know what that word means? It means covet. No, I'm just kidding. It actually is the same word, desire. It's the word desire. This generation, this culture, basically tells us that you are your desires. Someone says, I, am, I was born this way. You can't tell me to change. You can't tell me I need to change. I was born this way. Beloved, all of us were born this way. We were born, I was born an adulterer. I was born a thief. I was born a liar. I was born a sinner, and God doesn't say, go with your desires. That's who you are. Actually, the word of God comes in stark contrast to our culture and says, you are not your desires. Do not desire your neighbor's wife or their donkeys. That's not very relevant here, but in Africa, it's quite relevant. or their house, do not desire. <clears throat> so many addictions and patterns that people find themselves in, drugs and immor sexual immorality. You know, what about the person that is stuck in pornography? What about the person that is in this or that? And um, 
and we start to get jaded and you go, people can't change. People can't get out of this. We are who we are. Just embrace who you are. And part of the problem is that it's not just we have to be a good person or it's not just a change of behavior. Something has to be, uh, someone has to deal with what happened in the past or what I've done in the past. Because a lot of times what happened in the past defines who I feel about myself in the present or what I am in the present. Someone is addicted to something, they did it in the past, they fall into it again and they say, because I'm this way in the past, that's who I am in the present, I might as well give up and just keep doing it. What about the Muslim? 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. But further than that, you know, because not all Muslims are terrorists or bad people. There are loving Muslims. There are happy, you know, family-centered Muslims. Muslims who fear God. But what about the Muslim terrorist? Can that person be changed? Is there hope for transformation in the world? I want to tell you about this guy named Deed. There's a, there's a, a man, it was about our third year of our, our school, and you can pull up the slide. I don't know if, uh, okay, good. There's a guy named Deed. Um, he's, he's from northeastern Kenya. He grew up as a Muslim, but he kind of was on the streets. He got addicted to drugs. He was in depression. He was living in severe poverty. And, uh, and then one day he heard a woman from his own tribe sharing the gospel. And it's rare in this particular place because the majority of people are Muslim. <clears throat> they were sharing the gospel. She was sharing the gospel and she prayed for someone and that person got healed. Indeed, saw this person receive a miracle. And when he saw that, his heart was open, his mind was open to the gospel, and he became a believer in Jesus Christ. That's deed in the right-hand corner. Yeah, that's great news. And, um, and then about six months after that, we met deed. About six months after he got saved, we met him when we were doing a mission trip with our African students from Uganda. We were going to Kenya, do a mission trip in this Muslim area. And we met Deed there, a new believer, and he said, I don't have anything else to do, and I have a heart to serve God, and I, and I want to learn more about the Bible, I want to join your school. So he joined our mission school in Uganda, he came to Uganda, and man, it was so unique and interesting to disciple this former Muslim guy, you know, who, who was, uh, we were having conversations where Deed was asking us, is it okay if, uh, if, I mean, he was saying things like, isn't it? how will your wife know that you love her unless you discipline her? <laughs> and uh, why don't, and then he would argue, the students would be arguing back and forth about circumcision. He would say, you know, how important circumcision is. And we were, these processes that he was going through, he's a really, really kind, uh, amazing person now. But man, in that first year, Deed started telling me, he said, there's a people group called the Gari Somali. And uh, they're, they're in Somalia. They're an unengaged, unreached people group in Somalia. But some of them live in northeastern Kenya, and some of them live in Ethiopia, the border of Ethiopia and Kenya. And he was telling me back in, in those days, that was about six years ago, I want to be a missionary among these people. They're 100% Muslim. And he says, no one is reaching them, but I speak their language. They speak Somali and they speak Burana. I'm a Burana and I, I speak their language. We can communicate and I, I have a heart to go to them. I said, that's amazing indeed. And I looked up this people group. I said, this is exactly what God has put on our heart to train and send African missionaries. And here's this guy telling me, you know, come out of Islam. He's, he's becoming a different person or seeing this transformation taking place in his life. Well, if you look, if you put that slide back up, it's, there's a picture of me preaching with Deed in his hometown, his Islamic town. 
And there's all those people are Muslim people. And here's Deed translating for me as we're preaching and debating Muslims in his hometown. If you zoomed in, you could see all the women with the veils covering their heads. There we are preaching the gospel five, six years later. Here's this Muslim man. Now, uh, and it's amazing. The bottom crowd, you see that bottom crowd? That was a spontaneous debate and Deed is interpreting for me in the Borana language to these Muslim crowd. And it's a village that had no church. And there we, we preached. And then uh, the third day, the sheikhs were saying, we, we need opportunity here to speak. And we said, that's exactly what we want. Let's do a, a back and forth dialogue in this small village. I mean, it was a very rural place. And, uh, and they did that, so we had the dialogue, and we were able to bring the gospel and answer the questions that these men had against the gospel. Me and Deed, me and Brother Deed, this guy who came to me out of Islam six months after he got saved, and uh, we had such an amazing time. And that night, in this village, about 10 people came to Jesus Christ, gave their lives to Jesus Christ out of Islam. And Deed... Uh, and that Sunday morning, they started a church with those 10 people. Amazing. But I remember being in a car with Deed. We were going somewhere. And, uh, and I said, Deed, what did you think? What would you think about me? You know, a Westerner. What did you feel about me when you were Muslim? And he said, oh, Jesse, you know, I would have loved to have found you in some back alley somewhere. And... <laughs> I said, really? <laughs> but yet here we are, brothers in the Lord, going and ministering together. And now Deed is a missionary among the Gari, and he's winning Gari people to Jesus Christ. And they have planted a church in a village of the people that he was talking about. That's what God can do. God can change people. See, there's, there's an important transition between verse 2 and 3. Where he's saying, he says, you know, Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Many of us know that. Many of us believe that. Nicodemus believed that. He's a religious leader of the Jews. And Nicodemus is an interesting person because he's like almost there. But, and, and in John chapter 7, he defends Jesus against his, his fellow Jewish Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, and he defends Jesus. And then it, we see him in John chapter 19 taking the body of Jesus and burying Jesus. So Nicodemus is like almost there, and he believes Jesus is the teacher from God. But that's not enough. Because Nicodemus did not recognize the Holy Spirit. See, Nicodemus believed that Jesus was a great guy, and a lot of Christians believe Jesus is from God. But they don't recognize the Spirit. See, we serve a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. All of them are equally God. And the spirit is the spirit of Jesus active in the world, bringing transformation, applying the gospel to someone's life, changing and transforming the inner man. The Holy Spirit. Nicodemus didn't understand the active work of the spirit in the world. And many of us, we don't believe there could be transformation. We don't believe there could be change. And see, I don't buy it that Nicodemus didn't get the spiritual implications of what Jesus was saying. Nicodemus was just being pessimistic. He was full of unbelief. How can a man be born a second time? How can he enter his mother's womb a second time, Jesus? Come on. You know people don't change there's good people and bad people, and that's it. The good people get to heaven. That was the mindset of Nicodemus. But people can't be changed, and Jesus says, Nicodemus, here's the issue. You don't hear the wind. 
Many people in the church, even you know, so-called spirit-filled people, God can touch our life and then, and, or God can do something, but then as, as life goes on, we, just, we, we get familiar and we, we don't recognize the spirit. We don't believe for the spirit. We don't wait for the spirit. Now, Jesus says you have to be baptized by water and the spirit. And, um, and he says that being born again is the work of the Spirit. And the water in the Spirit is a reference to Ezekiel 36. Now, the context of this, uh, Nicodemus definitely knows the context, being a religious Jew and a leader among the Jews. And so when Jesus is saying these things, Nicodemus knows he's talking about Ezekiel 36. What's profound is the context of Ezekiel 36. When you read from verse 17, the background, Jesus is bringing to his memory or his mind the Jewish people, that the Jewish people had continually disobeyed God and were continually rebellious. There was never a change. Never a change. Always like a dog returning to the vomit, to its own vomit. That was Israel. Look at what it says in Ezekiel 36, 17. I'm mean, going to put every scripture on the screen so you need a Bible in your hand. Ezekiel 36, 17 through 21. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. Ezekiel likes graphic, uh, descriptive, descriptive language. If you ever read the prophet Ezekiel, he says, So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols which they had defiled. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they had come. Oh, there was never change. Israel kept returning to sin. But the Lord had concern for his name. Beloved, sometimes we look at that and we go, God, I thought you had compassion for us. What do you mean this about your name? But beloved, this is wonderful. Joy. That God's primary purpose is to uphold his name. Do you remember the name that he told Moses in Exodus 34, 6 through 7? The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. See, he doesn't look at Israel and act on behalf of Israel because of them or because of their sin or because of their righteousness, but he goes, I want to uphold my name and my name is mercy and my name is forgiveness. Therefore, I am going to move. Beloved, thank God. Thank God he doesn't act or move on the basis of us. Even if we are sinful, even if we are wicked, the Lord goes, I am going to act on behalf of my name. And you know what I do? Mercy. Mercy. Grace. Oh, this is wonderful. God does not treat Israel or us according to what they deserve. 
No, no, he upholds his name merciful and gracious. And so then he goes on in Ezekiel. So God acts on behalf of his name, and this is what he does. He, re he releases mercy through the Spirit. Ezekiel 36, you can pull it up on the screen, 36, 24 through 29. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. See, God looked at the brokenness of Israel and the inability to change based on their own self or selves the Lord knows your heart. The Lord knows us. He knows that we're broken. He knows that we're in a dig. He knows all these things. And he goes, I am going to act. I will pour out my spirit. Now, it's important when he says, I'm going to take out the heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit in you and you will obey my rules. See, God is he's not forcing but he, God's spirit works through means. God works through means. And it's through means that God acts upon the heart like this. It's not by force, but rather it is the force of love that gives us a new heart. Meaning God is not forcing the person but the force of God's love, which he will demonstrate to us in the gospel. And the move of the Holy Spirit upon our heart. Beloved, the force of love, he goes, you will obey my rules. You will love me when you see how I love you. You will love me. This prophecy began to be fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, which is amazing. What Jesus is telling Nicodemus, this thing starts to get poured out on the day of Pentecost. A group of Jewish men and women waiting in the upper room, 120. There they are, Jesus told them, tarry in Jerusalem till you're endued with power. And so there they are, it says that they were devoting themselves to prayer. Here's 120 in the upper room. And, uh, and the book of Acts says, Acts chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind. <laughs> Beloved, the wind filled the room, and the Spirit of God entered their hearts, and the fire came upon their heads. And here were 12 apostles or men and women in that room who were in despair because they had lost their Messiah. And they didn't know what was going to happen. And here were 12 men who fearfully left Jesus at the cross. Peter, who couldn't even speak in front of the Jews who denied Jesus. And these men were turned into apostles who came back to Jerusalem, the very place where they crucified Jesus, where they had run away from him. They go back to the very place and they begin declaring, Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. And we don't even care about our own life. We're pre and beloved, they were cowards. They became lions for the gospel. That's what God can do. See, God can transform us. The Spirit of God changes things. God breaks into the atmosphere. The Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit moves, and we become new people. This happened to me when I was 15. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. But man... I did not understand the meaning of life and why God was so distant and this religion of my parents. It, I, I, I was struggling with depression and anxiety 
like a cloud, a dark cloud over my life. And I'm telling you the truth. The Spirit of God encountered my life. I was friends with Rochelle. We were high school sweethearts, by the way. And she can testify that I was transformed by the Holy Spirit. And all I can explain it as I just couldn't think the same way as I did before when the Holy Spirit encountered my heart. When the heavens opened and God spoke to me and said, this is what I desire with you, this relationship, and it can always be this way. I said, God, I, this is what I'm made for. I'm made for you. It was so funny, our daughter Hadassah, just the, just the other night, it was in the, in our house. We live in a trailer. Anyways, <clears throat> when we're in the States. She, she just came into the room and she threw herself on the couch and she put her hand like that on her head and she goes, why are we even here? What's the meaning of life? Why am I so tired? <laughs> She's 10. She's just like her daddy. I said, Adasa, you were made by God for God. But when you don't know that, when your heart is, man, God can change people. Now, the amazing thing is this promise is for all. The promise that happened on the day of Pentecost this promised Holy Spirit who changes the heart and what began to be fulfilled on the day of Pentecost was not just for the Jews. It was for all people to the end of the age. It says that in the book of Acts, Acts 2, 14 through 18. It says, but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice. Or, and here's what, the, what, was being, what was happening. See, Peter says, you don't understand. This is God fulfilling prophetic things that he spoke in the past by the prophets. And Peter stands up, you know, on that day of Pentecost, and he says, this is that. This is what Joel said in the last days. Says, God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in those days. I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now this is the great commission. What Peter is saying is, the Spirit of God will cause new birth among every tribe, every tongue, every language. God's spirit will be poured out among all peoples. That is the purpose of God, that the nations will be brought into this. See, the Ezekiel 36 is not just for you, Israel, but God is going to take a heart of stone out of people from every nation, and he's going to give them new hearts, and he's going to transform them for the glory of God. God's doing, he's going, the wind of God is going to blow across the nations. The promise is for all. Look what he says about this. Just a few verses later. And, P, and so, uh, verse 39. For the promise of Acts chapter 2. I'm sorry if I'm a little scattered here. The promise of Acts chapter 2, verse 39. He says, the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. For all, for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So here's the question. Do you hear the sound of the wind? Or are you a person like Nicodemus? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's what Paul said. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you just don't hear the wind. You don't know the Spirit. 
But John chapter 7, he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The heart will be changed from the inside. The desires will be changed from the inside. God will transform the heart. God will cause new birth. The voice of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord will change people. Nicodemus, do you believe in the spirit? We have one God. You cannot disconnect him. You cannot break him into to parts. Did you know that? Whoever has the son has the father. And if you don't have the son, you don't have the father. Which means if there is no son, there is no father. Because God is one God. We do not have three gods. We have a God who is triune. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. We cannot believe in the Father and the Son and reject the Spirit. Beloved, God wants us to believe, to see the wind, to move with the wind. It blows where it wishes. It does what it wants. God does what he pleases. And I'm telling you the truth. He is moving across the nations. Can I tell you a few, few stories? There was a book written recently called The Wind is Blowing the House of Islam. Fantastic book. Or, or A Wind in the House of Islam, something like that. It's written by David Garrison. He talks about how God is drawing Muslims around the world to faith in Jesus. The wind is blowing. Let me read you a quote. He says, uh, until the end of the 19th century, 12 and a half centuries after the death of Muhammad, did we find the first voluntary movements of Muslims to Christ that numbered at least 1,000 baptisms. But then in the final two decades of the 20th century, there was a surge of 11 additional movements. By the close of the 20th century, 1,368 years after the death of Muhammad, there have been a total of 13 movements of Muslim communities to faith in Jesus Christ. There are only 13 in 1,300 years. But I'll finish that, Jeff. Thank you. That was support. But look what he said. This is where we need to say yes. He goes, in only the first 12 years of the 21st century, an additional 69 movements to Christ of at least 1,000 baptism, a baptized Muslim background believers or 100 new worshiping fellowships have appeared. These, this 21st century movements are not isolated to one or two corners of the world. They're taking place throughout the house of Islam. Who's saying for the first 1300 years, you only have 10 to 12 movements, but in the last decade, there have been another 70, basically. Amazing. A wind is blowing. I want to show you a picture of Enoch. Um, he's a missionary that we have in Tanzania. That's a, a map of Tanzania. And you see on the right-hand side, the top island, it's disconnected from the map. There's an island. That island is called Pemba. And uh, it's occupied by a group of people called the Swahili who are Muslims. And there, there's like one or two or three churches on the whole island. And, uh, and so we sent, mission, we sent Enoch and uh, Richard there. Those, those are the team that went there. They literally get on like this ancient looking boat made of, you know, wooden slats or whatever. And they cross over to that island and uh, they're trying to work and plant a church. But it's, uh, it's not an easy environment when you have 99.9% .9 Sunni Muslims uh, who are fundamentalist Muslims who don't want the gospel <laughs> where you're bringing it. At the beginning of the year, as we were coming back to America, or I mean, at the end of last year, God spoke to me and said, do a seven-day fast with all your staff and missionaries and everybody just call a seven-day fast for miracles, breakthrough, and salvation. And, uh, and I was writing a blog every day about, God, about different aspects of the Spirit's work in the world and how we need to believe for miracles and ask God for miracles, and one of them is salvation. And as I was writing this, about the third day, Enoch wrote an email to us, and there he is in Pemba, and he said, a Muslim man came to him. And uh, the guy said he had moved to the island 10 years ago and converted to Islam.
But he said ever since he became a Muslim, he has never had peace. Until it came to a climax that week that we were fasting and praying. And he goes, this week I've had several dreams where a man in white came to me and said, you are lost. And I knew it was Jesus. And so then he said, I found you out and I want you to lead me to, to become a Christian. I know I have to become a Christian. A wind is blowing. Another one of our missionaries, Dennis, emailed me the same week. He's uh, ministering in a place called Harar. A young man in the upper right corner seems like he's grabbing that guy's head. He's actually praying for him. <laughs> really, really awesome guy. He was actually probably 10 years ago is when we met him. He was one of our first students. Then he said, at one point he goes, God gave me a dream that I would be planting churches on the border of Ethiopia and Somalia. And so after he graduated, about a year later, we prayed together. We sent him with, a, with one of our other students who graduated. They had their bags and they took a bus. Six days it took him to get over there on the worst roads you can imagine. And then he planted, he's planted now two prayer centers in a city called Harar, uh, which is the fourth holiest city of Islam behind uh, Mecca, or, I'm sorry, Mecca, Medina, Jerusalem, and then Harar because some of Muhammad's relatives are buried there. It's like an ancient walled city. And there's a, a several Muslim unreached people groups that live there. And uh, he started ministering to the poor, ministering to street people, seeing people get saved. Well, he, he emails me in the middle of this and uh, fast. And he goes, Yesterday, a woman came into our prayer room and we were all just worshiping. Actually, they have about 40 people in the two locations who pray four hours a day, six days a week. And he goes, this woman just wandered into our prayer room and she started screaming in the back and so everybody had to turn around and she's writhing on the floor and they start praying for her to get deliverance and she gets delivered of a demon. And then when she gets up, she's, sane in her own mind when she says I don't know how I got in here or why I'm in here but I've been addicted to drugs and living on the street but I saw like children coming to this room and then I followed them I ended up in this room and then all of a sudden I was screaming and I was on the floor they shared the gospel with her and she gave her life to Jesus this Muslim woman Beloved, the wind is blowing. The only way that we will see transformation is by the Holy Spirit, by the power of God. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. The Bible says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. Because what if an unbeliever comes in and you prophesy to that person and the secrets of their heart are revealed? See, God deals with the heart. The secrets of their heart are revealed and they'll fall down and say, surely God is among you. Because the Holy Spirit is God, everybody. And he is a person and he is active in the world. See, when we're going to go to the next part. Let me not get ahead of myself. He's active in the world. But we need to welcome and see and discern and cherish the Holy Spirit, the move of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say amen. amen. My next point is that the gospel is the highway of the Spirit. And move now to John chapter 3, verse 9 through 15, the next section. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him 
may have eternal life. Jesus saying, Nicodemus, what I'm telling you is earthly things. These things happen on earth, not in heaven. Someone is changed by the Holy Spirit on earth. Someone is born again on earth. Do you get what, what Jesus is saying here? We need to expect this on earth. We need to expect God to act in time and space in our families, in our neighborhood, in our church, in the world. God is going to move and is blowing by the Spirit on earth. Today, come on. That's why we got to expect this on earth. He says, how can these things be? And the answer that Jesus gives here is the gospel. These things can be because the Son of Man has come down from heaven, incarnate in the flesh, and is about to be lifted up on a cross and then ascended to the Father, further lifted up to the right hand of God. And because of this, because of the gospel, the Spirit will have a free highway to move upon the hearts of men because I'm dealing with the past. I'm judging the sins of the past by the gospel. And I'm going to purify people so that the Spirit can breathe and move freely. Beloved, the gospel is the avenue of the Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying here. As we saw, said before, the Spirit works through means of love. And love is, the, is primarily revealed in the gospel by the word of God. Now look at this, 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25, you have a Bible. Since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So you've been born again through the word of God. Then he says, for all flesh is like grass. The glory is like the flower of, of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the spirit moves by the word. In Galatians 3.5, you can pull that up on the screen. Galatians 3.5, he says, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? I love that. The gospel is the highway of the spirit. And the gospel is delivered by the word of disciples. And the word of God is spirit and it is life. And it can touch and it can transform. See, there's means that God utilizes. The spirit of God utilizes. One of those means is the preaching of the gospel. And when we preach the word and the people hear, miracles happen. God breaks in. This is also the message of Romans 10. Just skip over now to Romans 10, 6 through 9. He says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What an amazing thing. You know what this passage is saying? Salvation is as near as the word. That's terrifying and exciting at the same time. Because we have the word. But what about people who don't have the word? You know, uh, 
There's something called unreached people groups. And these are tribes and peoples who do not have access. The majority of the people in unreached people groups, they don't have access to the gospel. They don't have a church in the corner. There's no opportunity to hear. And see, Paul goes on in verse 13, and then he he begins to explain what missions is. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? This is what God has called our ministry. Because we want to see messengers of the gospel with a word that is spirit and life reach the people who do not have the word. Because when the word is brought in, beloved, the word affects salvation. The spirit of God uses the word and transforms the heart. People call in the name of the Lord through Jesus Christ and are saved and are changed and are transformed. One of our missionaries was in an unreached place and is, again, a staunchly Islamic area and they were kind of, they felt led by the Lord to go house to house. But they knew that these people are not readily, you know, available to hearing the gospel. They're not inviting the gospel. Let's just put it that way. And so, but they felt led by the Lord. So they're like, we're going to be careful. We're just waiting on God. We're going to go where he tells us they're going in this village. And all see, they see a man by a tree. And the Holy Spirit prompts them to go talk to that man. And so they go to him and he's actually, he works for the government. And he's a Muslim in this tribe. And, uh, and he says, well, why are you here? So they start sharing about Jesus with this, this man. And the man they couldn't believe his response because his response was not anger. He actually said, we have been needing people like you to come and talk about Christianity. He goes, our religion has left us desolate and our people need to hear about the love of God. And here you are. And he became a Christian. I mean, Jesus said the harvest is great. The only problem is the laborers are few. And the problem is the word is not near. The word is not near. And you say, is is that fair? This way that God has ordained the nations come to know him and be saved and be transformed by the Holy Spirit through the word of Christ, through the gospel. Is this fair? What about the innocent people in the jungles of Congo, the preacher said? who have never heard the gospel, are they going to go to hell? And, uh, and I like the preacher's answer. He said, no, of course they're not going to hell. There's just one problem. There's no innocent people in the jungles of Congo. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God and need to hear. They need to hear this gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And how are they going to hear without what? A preacher. And how are preachers going to go without sending them? And there's a massive, massive opportunity in this time, in this generation, which I won't talk about too much right now, to send laborers, to send forth workers for the church to engage, to focus on bringing the gospel to those who do not have it. Beloved, we are rich with the gospel in Atlanta. But there are people who are starving for the word of God. Now I'm just ending with John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world. And this is the grounds for the work of the Spirit. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his world to condemn uh, his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Why is that the requirement for salvation? It's simple because there's only one God. Isaiah 45:22 says, turn to me, all the nations and be saved for I am God and there is no other. And beloved, when it says the only son of God, monogenes, the Greek word, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right because I don't speak Greek, but it means unique son of God. There's only one son of God because there's only one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's only through Jesus that the nations can be connected to the one true God. You cannot be saved outside of a right relationship with the one true God. And Jesus came incarnate in the flesh. The word of God dwelt in the tabernacle of a body. He took on flesh forever to save this world. And it's only through him that the nations can know the one God. And that's why the spirit is blowing. And I say today, and I want to challenge us to say and to pray, let the wind blow. Let the spirit move. Let us recognize and uphold the work of the spirit of God. He is moving in the nations. Do you hear it? Do you see? Let's stand up together. You know, I love that song we sang earlier. I don't know if we're over time. Can I have you sing that song, Believe? We sing and we believe miracle-working God. I want to sing this song like a declaration. And I want to pray for you today. If there is a circumstance in your life where you're going, God, I got to believe that you can change this circumstance. I got to believe that there can be a change in my life. I believe in the work of the spirit. You have a son or daughter you're praying for and you go, I lost faith. That someone can be changed. Beloved, we should never lose faith. We got to believe that we have a miracle working God. You believe that? Can you lift your hand right now if you're believing for something? Let's sing this song together as they're doing that. And we're, gonna, we're just going to believe God right now. If we can believe for our neighborhood, if we can believe for our life, Again, see, there's people in this room that you need a breakthrough from God. You need a breakthrough from God. The amazing thing about the gospel is you don't have to be defined by the past, by the patterns of the past. That as long as you are breathing, <laughs> God upholds his name merciful, gracious, slow to anger. Forgiving iniquity. Man, we got to believe that God can change Lawrenceville, that God can break into the drug addict's heart, that God can break into the, the homosexual's heart. My goodness. Can God change a life? We're not going to accept the lie of this culture that you're born that way. We're all born that way. God can transform the heart. Jesus didn't say become a better person. He said you need to become a new person. A brand new person. We can believe here in our situation, we can believe that God is going to move in the nations. You know, I say that people want a military answer to ISIS and Islamic terrorism and all this stuff. And nobody can know the answer. The answer is democracy in the Middle East. It's going to solve this. And let me tell you the answer, the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you see a Muslim man who is a violent person, come to you and tell you, God transformed me from being someone who hated Christians into a new person where now I'm a loving person. 
and I love God and I love Jesus. And, and when you see that, you listen, the only proven method of change that we will see in the nations, especially Islamic nations, is the gospel going forth in those nations. So beloved, I want us to believe for the work of the spirit in this place. That's a, that was what I was feeling in my heart. This is a church that God is calling to believe and to honor the Holy Spirit in your midst and to, and, uh, and to believe God for breakthrough and that people's lives are gonna be transformed as they come in this place. People's lives are gonna be changed as you are in your neighborhood, as you in your workplace, because we are people who see. We're people who hear the wind. Let's sing that.